Hey everybody, this is Jarrett Weisselman from Netflix, and you are listening to Watching With, our newest podcast where we sit down with the brilliant minds behind some of our favorite Netflix originals. And today we are kicking off this entire endeavor with someone great writer, director, emotional destroyer, and then rebuilder, Jen Gaden Robinson. How are you? Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I am so <laughs> thrilled. I love that this really came together because you tweeted, well, I mean, you tweeted like, I want to make a director's commentary for someone great. And I we've known each other for a while. Yes. And so I DM'd you, I texted you and I was like, hi, I want to do this too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and it was like a late night, like right before I go to bed musing where I was just like, this is something that I'd love to do, sleep. And I woke up in the morning and it was, and it had come true. You know, I'm just here to make dreams come true. Well, what was it that just made you want to do? Because I think people love director's commentaries. Uh, what is it about them that you love? I, I mean, it just, it feels like as someone, there was something that I turned to and watched in the getting ready to make this movie. You just have so much insight and you get to, you get to like hear all about the decision making. And I think that's just so cool. I love to know like why things happened and the inspiration behind the things and everything from technical to personal to, you know, kind of all the things that really created the movie. I just, I love listening to them. Uh, I remember in when we were in pre-production, I listened to Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron's When Harry Met Sally. Oh, and I've it's, never to Oh, that. my God, it's so good. Oh, I, I mean, I kind of want to leave the room right now. I'm just, yeah, it's so we can just play that. And so now we'll be playing you. <laughs> so we're going to do a director's commentary for When Harry Met Sally's yeah. director's commentary. Yeah, please turn on that commentary with someone great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it maybe it would be like a Dark Side of the Moon Wizard of Oz thing where it lined up strangely. I would... I hope it does. Um, so uh, before, right before we jump in, I just want to ask you, Someone Great is obviously, must be deeply personal. Before we sort of get into all of that as we go through the movie, baseline, what was the inspiration for you writing this? I feel like that's, it's such a, there's a, it, there's a lot of levels and tiers to that answer. Like the Tears very, spell T-I-E-R-S or E-A-R-S? You know what? It's both. <laughs> um, uh, it is both. It's Tears of Tears. Um, that's my new band. Um, uh, so I got dumped when I was like in my super early 20s and, and, you know, out of that, instead of wallowing, I partied with my two best friends, both named Jen, which is ridiculous. So it's just three gens. Um, three gens. Like we, when we introduce ourselves at a party, it's hi, I'm Jen, hi, I'm Jen, hi, I'm Jen. And then we have to leave because it's so <laughs> stupid. Um, so the three gens went out on the town in 2010 in New York City. Um, and out of that was born this idea that I had about telling a love story, but framing it through a breakup. And then kind of as I evolved as a storyteller, as someone in this industry, as a woman, as, as all those things, you know, coming together at once... I realized that the real story and the real like the crux of that and what's so beautiful about that was not the guy, but me and my friends yeah. and that they picked me up and that, that I was able to you know lean on them. And so it turned into wanting to tell a love story and kind of the catharsis of, you know, talking about a breakup in that way. And then it morphed into, no, I want to do a love story about my friends. Yeah. I love that. Well, with that, should we just dive on in? Let's do it. All right. So if you are listening to this in your car, you can continue listening. If you are going to listen to this as a alternate audio track whilst watching the film, we are pressing play in three, two, one. one. All right. Oh, the song. The I, song is so good. I mean, every song from the beginning... 
of this movie to the end of this movie is the best song I've ever heard exactly in that moment. I really appreciate that. So this first shot, this first shot is a man standing on a crane. His name is Corey. He's amazing. So steady cam operator. And the crane comes down and his camera is the camera is strapped to his body. And Gina and Lakeith cross the frame into the street. And he right here steps off that crane and follows them into the bar. It, I mean, is that the moment where you're like, I am making a movie? Yeah, it's crazy. This is actually the second to last day of production, too. Wow. So this was like the, you know, it's the first thing in the movie. It's one of the last things we shot. And we shut down, you know, a street in Chinatown. And if anyone's ever been to 169 Bar, this is not like a chill area of New York. <laughs> it's not. We shut down the street. No one was happy. No I, one in New York thinks that it's that filming a movie is cool. Everyone's just extremely bothered. They're like, my, I have to get across the street. Yeah, they're like, my dry cleaner's over there. Can you fucking move? Can I ask you quickly, how did you plan sort of the filming of this? Like chronologically, you obviously have multiple timelines. Was there, or is it just sort of when things are available, we kind of have to shoot them? Yeah, then? especially in New York. It's just, it's just when it, when you can get in the location, when it works and, and also you're, you're kind of juggling schedule so we only had the Keith for two weeks okay so we have to smush all of that in two weeks so that dictated other stuff but yeah it's it's location based it's it's talent availability based it's that kind of stuff well I mean he is someone you work around your schedule for and I mean I gotta say what an incredible scene to sort of like jump follow after that. Michelle Buteau, one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my entire life, is like a perfect example of how to steal an entire scene. An entire movie. I mean... An entire movie. Talk a little bit about getting her involved. So she uh, was working with Paul Feig and Jesse Henderson and Dan Mignante, and I met her... And we, I mean, she's just, she is, she is everything she is in this movie in person. She is the most, you know, vivacious, amazing, funny woman. And I just like sat at dinner and just watched her talk for an hour and a half. And she left and I was like, can she, she has to. She has to do. She has to be the woman in this. She has to do it. And I mean, does she just give you hours and hours of material that yeah, you cannot put in the movie? Yeah, there's like two hours. There's Act. like two hours of this. Of just this scene, like them improvising back and forth. Yes, like this. I would say so. Like Jenny, once Jenny's done saying, doing her monologue about San Francisco, none of this is. All of this is improvised. It's amazing. I feel like it. Is something I'm gonna have to find on yeah. Netflix and give to the people. Yeah, they must have it. And we have different versions, so it was like for me, I was like, do this one where you're really mean to her. Do this one where you're really nice to her. Yeah. So we, you know, we there we found levels, and so right. there's all different versions of this Michelle character. All right, let's talk about this supercut montage. To me, one of the best pairings of emotion and music and visuals I can think of in recent memory. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's a very literal take on Lord's song. Uh, I wanted to do something. I didn't want social media to be and texting and that kind of stuff to be present in the movie because I think that it it stops it from feeling nostalgic. Like it stop it, it. I think it takes away and and it get, and it makes it like a certain place in time. But I knew that like I wanted to tell. I wanted it in there because it is a millennial love story. Mm -hmm. And so this felt like the best way to do that and to have it up top and to have all of this there and to know that, like, obviously this is a part of their lives without having to have text bubbles pop up on screen or Instagram or this or that. Like, I didn't want that throughout the film. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a really cool way to tell the story because I think when you break up with someone, you have this, you know, this digital time capsule that you can go back through. 
Um, I wrote all of those emails. Actually, every single one, even yeah. though you only see the subject. I wrote, all, please pause the movie and read all the emails. They are so deeply important to me. Um, I think my favorite one is that Blair forwards the girls an email about a women's march for gun violence because there's just like them, like 100% Blair yes. is forwarding, forwarding them like feminist emails. Is there a moment where like the minutia of the things you actually need to do to make the movie sort of come together in that way sort of it dawns on you that you're like, oh, I have to write the first line of 90 emails that will not actually be seen on screen for more than three seconds. Yeah. And most people would probably let someone else do it. And I was like, no, I love this. Like I like all of the um, Instagram people that yeah. are commenting on that. I created we created all those names. and like they're all for all the producers <laughs> have names. And like I wrote all the captions, like all the texts, like every it's it's like that whole thing. I was just like wrote every single piece of it and I it's I love it but I love that and I think that's one of the reasons you know the relationship between Jenny Aaron and Blair feels so real and so lived in because those mo those small nuggets are so thoughtful and they're intentional yeah and I think you see that throughout the entire movie um okay so let's talk a little bit about Ms. Rodriguez if we can yes I mean what an incredible lead she's so good in this her ability to be constantly on the edge of tears amazes me yeah, she the the way that Gina can move through um through emotions and go from comedy to drama and that depth that she has and the well that she is able to tap into is I think unparalleled. Absolutely. And here we have DeWanda Wise and Rebecca Naomi Jones currently killing it in Oklahoma on Broadway. Yeah, she's amazing. They're both amazing. I I love this scene. This scene was a lot longer in the script and we we ended up cutting it down because it's like one of those things where you get in the edit and you're like, oh, you don't need, you just need, you know, this is what the scene is about and yeah. you just need what the scene is about. Um, but I love them both. Um, and I was very excited to get this sexiness on screen. Couldn't agree more. I feel like DeWanda for a lot of people probably feels like a bit of a discovery, you know, in this film. You really get to yeah. see all the shades of her. If they didn't get watch, you know, she's got to have it season one. You should go back. Season two is coming. Um, and Miss Brittany Snow, I mean, such a good role for Brittany. She's amazing. Look at every look at what Brittany is able to do with like so like she's like not moving her face that much and she's giving you everything. How difficult was it for you to find your trio? Honestly, so Gina was locked in and I knew I wanted Brittany and I've known Brittany forever. And it was Dewanda was kind of the the wild card missing piece. And when she fell out of Captain Marvel, Gina called me. She fell out of Captain Marvel for scheduling uh because of a scheduling conflict, not because she's not genius and brilliant. Obviously. Um, Gina called me and she's like, I went to college with Dewanda. You need to meet her. She's amazing. Oh, I didn't she's, even know that. Yeah. Gina called me. You need to meet with Dewanda. I met with Dewanda like the ne next night. We had the best drinks. She is, I, you know, everything she said, I was just like, oh my God, you're, you're, not only are you Aaron, but like, can you be my life coach? <laughs> um, and, you know, the rest is history. Oh, my God, Alex Moffat. Oh, gosh. I mean, let's talk about Alex Moffat what for a, a second. I mean, to play a boyfriend you have to hate within three seconds of meeting him is a skill. Yes, it's a skill. But you know what? You know what I love about him? I feel like there are a lot of people that might have come to this and, and done it in a way that... You know, you hate him because he's a douche, but it's like this guy is just like, you're just like, oh, you poor lamb. <laughs> There's like a sadness to yeah. it. Yeah. Is... And then the reveal later that he's like, not not the soft boy you thought. I just love it. I just love him so much. 
And all of this, so much of this was improvised. So much of this particular scene? Yeah, so much of him, like yeah. what, all the stuff he did. We just, you know, it was just me behind the camera being like, do this, be weirder. I mean, when you get someone from SNL, I feel like the impet- the the impetus is sort of to be like, I mean, you can probably run with this. Yeah, this entire day we were in Aaron's bedroom, which is like in the back corner. And I was sitting on her bed with the monitor was in front of me. And I was like the entire room was like had their hands over their mouths trying not to laugh. Is, is everything a practical set or were there stages built? No, the only stage is the shower for the I Love You. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the only thing. All of these are apartments. This apartment, I mean, this is a fucking $3 million apartment. Right. Like, they don't live in this apartment. But <laughs> not, to, a, not to pull like the Monica on Friends card. Yeah, I was like, it's a rom-com and people have negged me. And I'm just like, you know what? It's a rom-com. Leave me alone. <laughs> they needed the rom-com apartment. Like, of course she doesn't live in, like that, those, uh, the like, thing that's covering that like entranceway into yeah. the closet is covering like a like a massive walk-in closet because I was like okay this is this will be crazy if people can see <laughs> that this is there Mr. Bubs I uh. just want to shout out to Mr. Bubs the dog I was obsessed with this video saw this video and attacked the producer Peter Cron god bless him and I was like I need this dog in the movie and he thought I was joking and I was like I'm not joking so we dm'd a dog and we're like, hey, we'd like to put you in this <laughs> Netflix movie. And uh, it, I we like had to stalk this dog's owner. Did, I mean, were they like cool about it or did like was there were were cool. some hoops? They were cool, but they came back with a like a oh, pricey number. Wow. Yeah. And we were like, well, we don't have that in the budget for a 10. I was honestly like, give it to them. You're like, anything wanted, they want. Yeah, I was like, anything I needed. I was like, I'll cut a song for Mr. Buzz. <laughs> um, I'm obsessed with Aaron's bedroom. I think it has such vibrancy to it and incredible sort of character revealing elements. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the set deck? Uh, okay. So Lisa Myers, the production designer, is a queen. When I met her, she's the kind of person that like you meet and you're like, God, like not only do I want to work with you, but like I hope you want to be friends with me and go to brunch. <laughs> she is, she truly is the perfect, most amazing woman. She, everything that I wanted, she elevated. Um, like that wallpaper, yeah. which is CB2, shout out to CB2, uh, is amazing. Also shout out, there's a sweet, vicious, ne- that, that needle point, the little round thing yeah. behind Aaron says sweet, vicious. Oh my God. I mean, um, shout so, out to one of the best shows. Yeah, I mean, shout out. Jules and Ophelia representing in someone great. I love that. I um, miss that show. <laughs> yeah. But Lisa Danica, who's the art, the art director, um, it was, it was so it was such an amazing team of women, and yeah. I feel like that, like that, was r- really important. And they, I don't know, I think that they realized they realized each set in a way that felt heightened and aspirational without feeling crazy. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about that because obviously a lot of the crew you've mentioned are women. I mean, and you've written and directed this film, and I think films that are about women made by women do feel differently than films that are st- star women and maybe about men. I mean, yes. I mean, how intentional was that for you from the jump? Or were these just the best people who ended up being on the up? It's both. It's both. It's me. It's I wanted to find women. And then, you know, I ended up the women were the best people for the job. Let's talk about Lizzo. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's we'll pause that. Yeah. Lizzo, queen, the best timing ever. Like this song being a part of this film. I die. This song just started chart. It's her highest. Uh, it's her highest stream song on Spotify now. And it's two years old. But I mean, you understand that Lord Supercut, Lil' Kim's The Jump Off and Lizzo's Truth Hurts. 
all re-entered the charts after this movie came out. Yeah. And so I am very much of the opinion that that is not a coincidence. No, there's no way that's no a coincidence. Way. There's no way the jump off was just like, you know what? Let's We're do all right going to listen to this right now, coincidentally. I, I mean, how, when did you discover Lizzo? I mean, obviously going back to Truth Hurts, it's a couple years old. It's a amazing song. Yeah. What's interesting is, so this scene in the in the very original script, they're singing International Players Anthem. Oh, okay. Because Truth Hurts hadn't even come out Right, yet. right, right. And then Truth Hurts came out and I was like, you know what? This song is so... So much better. I want international players anthem in the movie, so we moved that to the front. That opened the movie, which makes way more sense. Yeah. Um, and then we used, and then we used Truth Hurts, and it's just been, it's been amazing. I love all the videos of people dancing in their kitchen. I know, and I feel you got like the last Lizzo music cue that probably didn't cost a billion dollars. Yeah, truly. Like we, we really, we really got in there just at the buzzer. I mean, you made it happen. Um, all right, so I want to ask you about the visual styling for the flash for the memories versus the present tense. Yeah, so this was very purposeful. This is something that I created with our with uh, the DP Autumn Aiken, who's amazing. Um, uh, for me, it was I wanted them to. They are memories. First, I'll say like they are memories. They are not flashbacks. They are not objective pieces of the story. They are Jenny's memories and how she feels and what she you know takes from the time that she had with Nate. And so. I felt like, you know, there were a couple different ways that I was like, how do I do this? Do we shoot it on anamorphic lenses? Do we shoot it, you know, do we make it look like a heightened movie? Do we use colors? Do Like, I really, like, was like, I don't know. Do we change the aspect ratio? Mm-hmm. Like, there were so many different things because I feel like when you go back in a relationship and start to think about it, you you do look at it through rose-colored glasses. And when I thought about the rose-colored glasses of it all, I was like, oh, let's do it with color and let's find this really kind of beautiful aesthetic that can oscillate depending on what the memory is so Mm. like this memory which is really you know beautiful and shiny and rosy is very pink Mm -hmm. and it's really beautiful and it's you know the colors really complement each other and there's not a lot of contrast and it feels it feels really you know airy and light uh and so that to me was important and also like even just the way that the camera like what we're shooting and how we're shooting it it's like you're with lakeith so much mm-hmm. because that's what she's you know like here she's like she's remembering how she felt when she saw Matt and then all these shots of Lakeith are like it's less about you know what he's doing and it's like it's like there's you're so in it with him yeah and it's like his laugh and his smile and these are the little things that she took with her from this moment the way he touches his neck like I think that I wanted all of those things to feel like these are the things that she remembers and it's not about the bigger picture it's about all these little moments that created this love story and that started this love story. Which is, you know, and that's the way love is. And what I love about this scene is how much it jumps back and forth between the events of the night. You know, they're at the party, they're home hooking up, they're back at the party. Because memories are like that. You know, they kind of come in spurts. It's not chronological. Yeah, it's not chronological. And this is, you know, this this sequence I wanted to feel, you know, jagged because I think that that's how you remember it I think that like you think about that moment at the party and that brings your brain to that moment when you were hooking up and that brings your brain back to the moment where you're dancing and then that brings your brain you know to the moment where you're having sex for the first time and it's it really ping pongs and I wanted to feel that especially in this first in this first memory that she's having this first real memory that she's having uh to set up the movie. Absolutely. And I I noticed that as the film goes on, you know, you talk a little bit about the color that's getting used per each memory, but also sometimes the color feels so much stronger. I mean, does that have something to do with the recency of it? Yes. I wanted so that there's there's a memory, the breakup memory, which is 
the night before is kind of the memories and the and the real world colliding. So in that memory, I didn't I wanted to make sure that it felt somewhere in between, somewhere in this middle ground where it didn't feel like it's, you know, the blues and the pinks and the and you know, really strong light shooting on them, which like wouldn't exist in his room. Right. Um I wanted to make sure that it felt more like reality cuz you, you know, that's it's also how Jenny feels about it like this is so far away from what reality is to her she's able to live in this beautiful time so it should look beautiful right and then as things get closer to the what what is real that color starts to fade absolutely I also am obsessed with this striped jacket that Dewanda is wearing uh, in this scene. Yes, it is. I mean, where can I buy it? Where can I get it? Can I, I have it? I think it's H and M. Of course, I think it's H and M. Honestly, Stacy Batat, who's the costume designer, did such an amazing job, and it was important. I was like, you know what? I don't want. I want them to feel like they're. I again, like I wanted to feel heightened. I wanted to feel rom com. I wanted the aesthetic to be a little bit pushed and beautiful and glossy, but I wanted it to feel true to the New York that I know and the women that I know and the way that we, you know, look and feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, that's why it's like Gina's in a shirt and she's got no pants on. She's got no bra on. Like, that's what I look like in my house. When I, you know, she the the hair and the makeup, I, I wanted to make sure that it all felt true to what these women would look like. Because yeah. there's nothing worse than watching a movie and feeling like and feeling attacked by how beautiful someone is mm-hmm. and how unrealistic someone looks. Um, which maybe says more about me than no, movies. Um. Not at all. I think it's true. I mean, you had that tweet that was amazing. That was basically, like, there's such a difference between the way a woman makes wakes up in a movie directed by a man and a woman wakes up in a wo- film directed by a woman. Yeah, it's like no one's putting on a full face of makeup and being like, good night. Um, <laughs> no one's doing that. You would wake up, your whole face would be broken out. Um, <laughs> so this is interesting. So this moment, where Gina stands up and Dewanda says, I don't know, I have no tickets. Mm-hmm. So this, we cut a scene out in between this. Oh. There was a scene that existed here that was cut out of the movie. What was it? So Gina goes into her bedroom and she kind of, after she says, I don't know anybody, Gina says, okay, I'm going to go get dressed. And she goes into her room. She slumps down on the floor and she starts, she looks over and she sees that Nate's sneakers are still in her room. She has a memory to Nate coming in after a run and kissing her all over and then it cuts back to Gina and then it cuts right back into a memory that's more sour of Nate saying why did it take you so long to tell me you were moving to San Francisco Mm. and then it cuts back to Gina and she's crying and then Gina comes out and says we're gonna need all hands on deck Um, now because the way that we shot it did not know we were gonna cut that scene out but the way that we shot it it's Gina standing to Gina standing so we were able to seamlessly remove that thing in editing, uh, shout out to our editor, Molly Goldstein, who is a genius. Um, yeah, so it's like little things like that. It's like you you really reshape the movie. You write the movie three times. You write it and when you write it, you write it, you know, as you shoot it with improvising and, you know, different things that, they, that the actors do. And then in editing, you really is really where you find what this movie actually is. Did you end up cutting that because it just felt too heavy at that moment or what was it? You just didn't need it. You had just come out of NYU. Mm-hmm. You felt that between Nate and Jenny. Uh, you didn't, you knew about San Francisco and him not knowing, We, which we, we wanted the, you know, the conflict of San Francisco to be present, but we ended up moving and assigning that to the fight scene on the street that comes later. Uh, so it was just one of those things where it's honestly probably one of my favorite things that we shot and it was really hard to cut but you didn't need it right and it was very easily liftable 
Um, I mean, it was gorgeous. It, it was a, you know, kind of a tracking shot from Gina to the sneakers and then it dissolved and like, you know, kind of like moved into Lakeith very seamlessly. Mm. So it kind of felt like you were, it was like kind of in one shot turned into a memory. Um, and I loved it, but. Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. Gotta you got to do, do it. it. Um, I want to ask you this green juice mimosa real life, something we've dreamt up, something we've tried. Cause like, I want to know, should I, should I drink it? Um, probably not. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, if it's got apple in it, like green juice can be nice. Yeah. Um, uh, if it's like a lot of chard, then probably not. Um, uh, I, so I originally in the script, it's, uh, it was Snapple. Okay. And Snapple kindly declined use Ooh. of making their drink alcoholic, <laughs> alcoholic for some, you know, messy bitch having a day. Which we love Snapple. We stand Snapple. Love a peach Snapple. Miss the Snapple lady yeah. every day. Oh my God, every day. Um, but then it turned into I was like, what? El- what is disgusting? <laughs> like what? What signals like this woman needs help? Right. And I was like, oh, it's like it's not only it's not only that she's drinking a green juice most. My favorite part of the joke is that she's like, it's an old green juice. Like that's like that's been in her fridge for two days. And she's like, just put the fucking champagne in that. It doesn't matter. We're going. She's like, I just need a vehicle to take this outside. In. Yes, like, exactly. I can't like, drink a champagne bottle. What can I drink out? Yes. And it's like, it's, it's got to have a cap. It's like, just put it in that. One of my favorite things about this movie is you can tell that it was written by someone who has spent a lot of time in New York because this moment where Blair gets a call and then Aaron gets a call. So Jenny says, well, I'm going to go for a walk. Just text me when you're done is so New York to me because the idea that you can just wander but then immediately find each other really doesn't exist, I feel like, in L.A. or anywhere else. No, no one walks around in L.A. Crazy. Like when, when people see me walking around L.A., I'm, I think that they think I'm like a wayward like that I like need help. <laughs> I mean, I hate when people are like, this New York is a character in the film. But in a lot of ways, this movie utilizes the things about New York that I think people t- are meaning when they say something like yeah, that. Yeah, New York is the fourth lady. <laughs> um, uh, the Statue of Liberty is the fourth woman in this movie. No, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that for me, it's like, it's also like, there's no better place to be sad than New York City mm-hmm. and to wander around because you're surrounded by people um, and you feel isolated and you feel, you you can like run the gambit of emotions mm-hmm. in such an amazing way in New York City. Uh, and it makes you inherently like a hundred times more dramatic than you would be anywhere else. Well, it's the only place you can openly cry on the street and people will just let you continue crying and no, go on like their business. No, not even let you cry. Like they won't, they don't care. Right. I, I'm going to tell a story. A friend of mine yesterday... A man just punched her in the arm, like came out of nowhere and punched like her in the arm. Like actually intentionally. Yes, intentionally on the street. He threw her cell phone in the middle of the street. And I was like, you know what I love about this story? And she's like, she's like, I got to get the fuck out of New York. I was like, what I love about this story is like, did anyone help you? And she's like, no. And I was like, I love that. That's yep. New York. Yep. Like a man can punch you. She's fine. I just, <laughs> she's like, spoiler alert, 100% she is fine. Sure. It was not that hard. Um, but yeah, she got Rebecca. Her name is Rebecca Searle. Love her. She wrote The Dinner List. Read The Dinner List. But she, and she's also like this like really sweet woman. But she got punched in the arm on the street in New York. And I was like, that is the most New York story I've ever heard. I That's love it. Very New York. And, I, and what you're saying is so true about being alone. But also, I mean, I lived in New York for my 20s, which is where these girls are in the film. And there is no better city to have your 20s in than New York City. No, it's the best place in the world because you you just like feel alive. Yep. In a way that is so cliche. <laughs> it's, but it's true. I yeah. mean, like, that's where the cliche comes from. It's like everything's open till four. You can get anything you want at any hour of the day. It's like it truly always feels like New York is 
anything is at your fingertips when you live there. Yes, literally anything. And I think that the other thing is like, you know, with that scene with Nate and Jenny at the fountain where it's like, let's make this our spot. It's like you're able to find these places that are that are huge public, you know, they are huge public spaces that can feel so personal yeah. to you. Um, and what I like about that moment is, you know, kind of honing in on the the cemetery effect that happens when a city when you break up with someone that you've been with forever and that you've lived in this city with forever and how the city turns on you yeah. after you know, this thing has ended and all of these places that were that were filled with so much joy turn, you know, they're so bittersweet now and they evoke all of these memories and the sadness and how you can oscillate between the sadness and the happiness and not know where you land and, you know, have these, you know, nooks and crannies of this place tug at your heartstring while you're standing in a crowd of you know, thousands of people. Yeah. And it's amazing when you think about the fact that there are so many other people who have similar emotional connections to the same place you do, but you would never know because it's so interior. Yeah, you would never know. It's, you know, everyone, everyone is living their lives next to each other. No one cares about the person next to them. But, you know, I think the humanity in, I think, I just think it's so, I love it. Yeah. Um, important question. So there was a line earlier where they're talking about this found joint where she says ketchup does go bad. I actually didn't think ketchup did go bad. So this is a PS. This movie's actually a PSA for ketchup. <laughs> yeah, ketchup. Um, this is because my mother doesn't throw anything away and everything <laughs> in her refrigerator, like every condiment in her refrigerator is like expired by like a devastating amount of time. So that's this. That's where that came from. In fact, I feel like people don't know that. But it's like, yeah, everything can, everything has an expiration date, guys. So if you take anything away from someone great, it's that. It's check your condiments. Ca- have a good yeah, check your ketchup. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to ask you a little bit about sort of the, the drinking and the drug use in the film, mm-hmm. because I think some people may watch it and be like, oh, my God, they're animals. And I think a lot of people, especially what I saw on social was people feeling incredibly represented by that experience and sort of saying, oh, I really see my friend group in this. I mean, that to me is one of the amazing ways the film feels so lived in and feels so real is because that's what people do. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, it's my it's my experience. And my experience is, you know, you smoke a little weed, you drink a little tequila, you do a little molly. <laughs> um, and, but it's all it's all in doses and yeah. it's, you know, controlled and they're being adults about it. And, you know, for me, I I wanted to represent my 20s and and what it was like in a way that felt true. And and I got to say that, you know, drugs were a part of that. Uh, And so I put it in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say that a lot of my a lot of my close friends have shown their parents the movie and then subsequently had to be like, like look their parents in the eye because they're all their parents are like so you do drugs <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a good just like way to have that conversation just the time to start it. yeah it's an icebreaker it's a real icebreaker um i also want to say shout out to peter vac who was just in this scene he improvised the uh left her on red line about his mom it's and it's so... one of my favorite jokes in the movie i also the thing i love about that character is they refer to him as Matt Lasher. And that is such a thing that friends do when you use the first and the last name about someone. And it also tells you a lot about the person when you always refer to them yeah, by he's first a full, and last. He's yes. A, he's a full name fuckboy. Um, and uh, Matt Lasher also is named for Amanda Lasher, who is the showrunner of Sweet Vicious and is my wife. I love it. I love all the little. Those my are, work wife. I love. It. Are those the only two sweet vicious little nods? The needlepoint and the last name, or yes, mo- I believe so. 
Amazing. Okay, so now we're about to meet one of my favorite characters in this film, a little fella played by... Jabuki. Jabuki Young Talk. I mean, this loft... This feel- loft is is so... Lisa Myers crushed it. The inspiration for this loft was Tom Hanks's apartment in Big, mixed with... <laughs> I, I just said, I want this apartment to be filled with stuff that this kid saw on the street and said, that's funny, <laughs> Let's take that. Oh, my God. The little like rings from the playground. That's yeah. Incredible. Like this like this kid is he's the kind of rich kid in New York that just sees stuff and is like, I'm going to I would like that. And so I'm just going to take it because he doesn't think about the fact that, you know, the whole world is in his. That's amazing. Jabuki is someone who's like really on the come up right now. I feel like what was it about him that made him feel right for this role in the movie? He came into this audition and he just crushed. There was stuff that he said in the audition that he improvised in the audition that I re- that I went back and wrote into the script. Really? Yeah. He's so funny. This guy on the couch sleeping is my favorite. I love him. <laughs> was he supposed to be sleeping? Or yes. Just like that's just what his, his yes. character choice. <laughs> no, I, I wrote it into the script because like I've been in these apartments with these like these like, yep. you know, these kids, these rich kids. Yeah. And there's always like two kids who don't talk to you that are sitting to the side doing something like playing video games or doing something. And then there's always just like, like, I love that this kid's just (laughs) sleeping. Like, it's just like there was a there was a runner that got cut out that he's gluten intolerant. This was in the script. He's gluten intolerant, but he loves Panera bread and he loves bread bowls. So he eats a bread bowl shits himself and then takes a nap and so he's taking uh, a gluten a gluten shit nap i can't remember exactly celiac no it was it was a celiac shit nap that is is what jabuki said so that's that's that character's backstory um i mean i love that also love a panera bread bowl just for the record Yeah. oh my god who doesn't love a panera bread bowl i can totally see that I can totally see that. You know, this scene has had a couple of little moments that I want to circle back on. We've just talked about Lady Bird and Beyonce's name dropped and Harry Potter houses. I love the way pop culture is infused into this movie because, again, I think it's another thing that makes it feel so real. It doesn't feel like it's necessarily intentional. It just is conversational. I mean, how... Where do you feel like the line is between like being too referential of the world around you in terms of entertainment and where you guys found, which I think is perfect? I think you want it to feel, I think it's when you start to get too niche and too of the moment and of the trend that it's, that it will, it doesn't necessarily hold because like we shot this movie in 2018. So something that was very, very, very 2018 wouldn't have worked in Mm -hmm. 2019. So you know, Beyonce is always going to work. Lady Bird is something that was cultural. That's always going to work. And it also tells you so much about Blair, too, because she would love Lady yes, Bird. Yes. You know what? Brittany, I mean, liked it, understood that it was it was great, but it's like not the biggest Lady Bird fan, which I think is so funny. I was like, you know what? That's that's where Blair and Brittany wow. diverge that's on Lady Bird. That's the line. Um, I love that there's a night in this in this apartment. Also on the table, I just need to shout out. Yeah. There's a menorah uh, and in each of the candle holders is a joint and in the schmash is a blunt and I think that's the best thing that I did in this movie um so I just need everyone to know that that's that's present in that scene well I have a new I have a new Hanukkah you know tradition now. yeah oh my god I mean it's I just love it so much um and then the other thing I'll say is like there were other you know there were references to Rick Rubin in that scene mm-hmm. that came out and so and there's a reference to Mike Dean shout out to Mike Dean who is if you don't know who Mike Dean is google him he's made every song that you've ever liked um and uh, the Mike Dean reference comes out of I was once in a room with Mike Dean and Kanye West and smoked a joint with them. Wow. Which is crazy. Which, which is, is the craziest story I think I have in my whole life. It's a good, it's a good story. Um, so shout out to Mike Dean. Well, speaking of Kanye, uh, 
I love in this scene with Rosario Dawson that Kanye gets dropped. And I was curious, you know, when they talk about Kanye headlining Neon Classic, that she says, that's insane and a problematic choice. And I was wondering if that was in the moment or ADR. Oh, that's ADR. Okay. Uh, so we shot this we shot this uh, scene and Kanye was, you know, Kanye is Kanye. I love, I love Kanye. We have, it's a very tumultuous relationship. He is, you know, the college dropout is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's the first album I listened to when I got my car at 16. Um, first, first thing in, in that, in that CD changer dating myself. Uh, and then, you know, he did some stuff mm-hmm. that was, you know, raised some eyebrows, wasn't great, wore a MAGA hat earnestly. Uh, and I love him and want to support him musically, but I can't support that. Sure. Uh, and neither can any of the women in this film. So we added that line. But I do want to say that I uh, love the Kardashians, and I All hope right. that I hope that that doesn't create strife between us, and that we can still remain best friends. I think so. I feel good about that. You know, Kim hasn't answered me in a, in a while, but I feel like it's just because she's busy. I have to tell you, it's so subtle. But this moment where Rosario is hugging Gina and goes, "That's really crunchy." Is this new denim? about her jacket is one of the funniest lines of dialogue I have ever heard in my entire life because it's so assholey. <laughs> yeah, no. Th- so so she is based on a real person that I will not name. Um, <laughs> and like this was probably more about me than about her, but she would always like find something or do something where I was just like, I was like, oh my God, I think you like me. And then she would say something and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> and I feel like we all know all that know. perfect woman yes. that that is like so, so nice. And then just like, shivs you in the side when you don't see it coming um so that was that was the vibe there there was something cut out of here that i actually love we had we had a shot of the three girls walking away and gina improvised uh and asked the girls if she had shat her pants because of how, <laughs> because of how terrible that interaction was and they're like no you're fine she's like little caca no and it's, it's one of my favorite things and i'm very sad that we cut it out of the movie but I am curious. I mean, Jenny feels like there's a lot of Gina in there, her mannerisms and her little moments here and there. I mean, how much did you want the actors to bring in those sort of organic moments that felt a little natural to them? And how much was that really already in the script? So we always shot what was on the page. We always shot verbatim what was on the page. And then, honestly, I would get like one or two takes of that. And I was like, throw it away. Just do whatever you want. Because I think that that's where you really find magic. Yeah. So a lot of it, you know, with Gina, especially, you know, with the Spanish, I was like, I would not know where to put this. I don't want to add you like, please do whatever you want to this uh, to make it feel the most authentic and organic to you. I love that. So this scene in the office with Blair and Matt was very important to me. It's I really love this scene. I think it's like this, like really juicy reveal for Blair. Um, But what I really wanted to do with the scene and what was important to me is to deconstruct not only the type A good girl that you kind of are set up to think Blair is, but to deconstruct these sex scenes that we see in these movies over and over again with this man who, you know, I think in a lot of other movies would probably be the guy that's like, no, I'm so charming that you want me, like, and telling her that she wants him. And what I wanted to do and what I think we accomplished and what Peter Vack did so brilliantly and beautifully is to seamlessly include consent in a film and still keep the scene sexy because consent is sexy as fuck. Yep. Um, so, you know, they get close to each other and it's kind of a I don't know what to do. She says, lock the door. She's taking charge. That's another thing. I wanted this scene to be a woman taking charge of a sexual experience. Um and leading the way and that there is no shame in that and that women should do that. 
Uh, and then, you know, she kind of hesitates and she's not sure. And he stops and he says, if you want me to stop, I'll stop. And I think that that is the sexiest line and the sexiest thing any man can say. And then she gives affirmative consent and then they do it and they get busy on his couch. Um, and I really would like to see more of that in film. And I think it's really important. And I think that the more we can incorporate that in a way that feels organic and seamless and like you're not even you're not even realizing what you're watching I think that will translate to the experiences that people are having in the world because I do think that you know representation of consent and and you know kind of changing the lens and how we're showing women's sexuality uh, on screen I think that the more that we can do that in a way that feels updated and with the times I think that that will change the way that women you know, feel about themselves. I completely agree. I mean, listen, you know, I think the thing about representation across the board, no matter what it is, is if you don't see it, you don't feel it, you know? And I think the more you see it, no matter what it is, whether it's about sexual consent, whether it's about diversity, whether it's about representation, like, it's so important that people put these moments into films because this is, these are the things people spend their time with. You know, people always talk about people on television feeling so close to them and personal to them. It's because you invite them into your home, you know, and that is the same here. If you invite these good depictions of the way the world should be into your home, it starts to feel very natural to you. Yeah, I think. And, you know, I think that there's there's so much representation of of the man taking charge of the woman and like that becomes subconsciously what women think they want. They think that they they think that when in they're in those situations where they're saying, no, no, what they want is for a man to push back and like, you know, say yes and take them. And it's like, we got to We got to throw that away. Mm -hmm. We got to stop doing that because that's when things get gray. And I think that we need it. Women should have no shame in taking control of their sexuality and being the one driving it. I also think that you know, in, in the earlier sex scene, it was important to me that Gina was on top. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that, you know, Gina is on top and Gina is taking control of this sexual situation and she's making sure that they are both going to come. Yep. And I think that we don't see that in movies. Completely. You, know, you, you see, you see, you know, it's like two pumps and it's over. And it's like, who, who has no woman has ever been happy with no. that. At all. And I think that actually does tell really nicely into this scene, this memory that Gina has here about the first time Nate said I loved you to her. Because I think we see this so often from the other gender perspective as well. You know, the woman is like, oh, I love you. And he's like, oh, I, I can't. Like, I loved that this was also on Jenny. Yeah. And, the you know, the lighting design in this scene is really dreamy and mm -hmm. really pushed because this is, you know, another one that's like so far away. So we have all these different colors that really complement each other and are really beautiful and uh, you know, I will say this is also, you know, I just wanted to, I just wanted Lakeith Stanfield to look at Gina Rodriguez and, and be in love with her and look at those eyes, man. He's like and he's shirtless. Man. You're welcome. I mean... Every choice I made, I was just like, <laughs> I'm going to create everything that I would want in a memory that doesn't exist in my life. <laughs> and, and I mean, and he ends up being the most naked person in the entire film, which I think is great too. Yeah. A hundred percent. The female lens, baby. I mean... Um, yeah, I, you know, I wanted... I, I think that this also just feels true to like what it looks like when you're uh, it's a Sunday and it's snowing outside mm -hmm. and you're hanging out. And this is what it looks like to, you know, they haven't showered and it's probably four o'clock in the afternoon. They woke up two hours ago and they're ordering Chinese. And mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel authentic to what this would feel like. Well, and that's always I mean, at least in my experience, the first I love you, the, the I love you's that mean the most in my to me are the ones that happened 
literally when we were ordering takeout or the th- you know what I mean it's not like some big grand moment where they invite you to a park or to and I'm like I love you it's it's literally like it slips out because you're just like I love you and yeah. like I loved that here yeah and I think that that's what I love about it because it's just it's Jenny what I wanted was for I wanted him to say I love you in a moment where Jenny is just being the most Jenny she yep. can be and she's on the couch she's smoking a joint she's like talking nonsense about Chinese food and he's just like he couldn't keep it in anymore. Yeah. He's just like, I love you. I love the shower scene. I love it so much. It's so sweet. Um, there was an alt ending to the scene that I made Lakeith do, where he tells her that he's peeing. <laughs> <laughs> um, him putting her under the water was too cute not to put it in, but the peeing joke, I really loved. Um, I want to ask you really quickly about Lakeith because, like, this feels like such a different kind of role for him and I love seeing this sort of performance from him I mean was he someone you were always envisioning in the role or he was my number one choice really he was my number one choice he wasn't available at first oh my god this dog this dog um How much, was did my, that dog have a ride or two that dog so those dogs showed up in those outfits oh my god those dogs came correct they showed up in their pearls and their outfits and I freaked out I, like, they leave were like it. yeah I was like leave it good. I was like thank you for bringing your own wardrobe um uh RuPaul ugh how did I mean did you know RuPaul no we literally just I was just like as a joke I was like I mean send it to RuPaul like there's no fucking way and then he said yes I thought it was a joke he's I mean he's listen he's a smart man he's been in this business for a very long time thrived in an industry that did not sort of initially accept him and look at him now I mean he's starring in smart films he's winning Emmys he's gonna be he's gonna have his own Netflix show AJ and the Queen that's right coming soon um he is thank you for the plug you're welcome (laughs) um my best friend is an executive on that show Emily Levitan I love her shout out to Emily Levitan um uh he is there's some there's such a warmth to him and I think that you know, your drug dealer in New York is also your therapist in a lot of ways uh, for certain people. And I, I feel like you go into that room and you, you hang out in that apartment for like 20 minutes and you do. You have a deep you can have a deep conversation. Uh, and that also felt very, very New York to me. Absolutely. So, you know, I, he he, you know, came in and the one thing that he said to me was that he was going to uh, he said, I'm going to black it up okay. about the writing. And I was like. Yeah. He, correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, please do that. Yeah, because I could not write that. Yeah, I was like, yes, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that for you, and I love that for the movie. Um, uh, but he was amazing, and his apartment. That production design in that apartment, Lisa Ugh, Myers. I want to move. It's like one more place I want to move into in this movie. Yeah, it's incredible. She, when she, I mean, everyone was was like just buzzing on that day. Everyone's manager, everyone's agent, like came to visit set. It's just like all happened on the day RuPaul was there. What a coincidence. Um, but when when Lisa found out that she would be designing, you know, RuPaul's drug den, she was like, I I remember I got to set that day and she's like, so I went a little nuts. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I think it was just right. And I was like, no, I actually, you could have done more. I think it was just right. Also, we just passed it, but Brittany Murphy, uh, Brittany Murphy. Jeez. Oh my God. <laughs> Brittany Murphy's in this movie. No. I just did a full spit take <laughs> at Brittany Murphy. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what? Here, Here's what I'll say. I I feel like that these three women could be the closest thing that we have to the Clueless trio. Oh God, I love that they just like had moved to New York after. Yeah, this is this is our millennial Clueless trio. Honestly, it's better now. Um, but Brittany Snow's face when she finds out that the wristbands are GA and says, "Are you fucking kidding me? That wasn't GA intercourse." Is stellar. Yeah. So GA is a joke that's for I do think a hundred people, but GA means general admission. I think it's more people than you think. Okay. So GA is general admission, and GA. <laughs> 
is my friends and I use as an adjective to describe things. Yep. So like if we're like this is basic, like we'll call it GA. So I infused that into the script because there were two different jokes there. The alt was her saying, he says, you know, I take care of my girl. And she says, do not use possessive pronouns when you speak of me, which is also very Blair and very funny. Yep. But that is that is not GA intercourse is just, I think, just the Italian kissy fingers it's... of comebacks. Yes. Um, and I'm very, and I'm very, very proud of it. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Cause also it's like a compliment to her. She's like, no, I'm good in bed. I don't get GA. Yeah. A hundred percent. None of the women in this movie, these women are art. This is oh, artist past yeah. fucking that's we're, happening in this movie. We're talking side stage as the band plays yeah. golf cart to and fro. Yeah. They are, they are peeing in the nicest bathroom <laughs> at the festival. <laughs> There's no line outside that no, bathroom. No, these are it's not just... porta potty bitches. <laughs> um... Uh, oh, the double. That was improvised, and I love it. I love that she flicks both nips. I love it. There's a lot of boob punching, a, boob grabbing. There's like, a I, lot of nip I, flicking in this movie, and I love I, all of it. I love it. I mean, is that coming from personal experience with friends, or is that just when you no. felt like these girls would do? No, they did it. Oh. That's not even me. That's, wow. that's them. That's all them. That's Gina. Also, Liza Minnelli is a Gina Rodriguez original, and it's I say it all the time now. Oh, God. I mean... See, but that's where the magic happens, right? Like when you have that, like you were saying before, when you have that space to be weird and try stuff, you get Liza Minnelli. Yeah, I call lies Liza Minnelli. I also, another thing that I really love about this scene is like they're having this fight and she's taking off her shirt and she's still like trying things on. Yeah. And it's just like <laughs> there's something that's so, there's something so comfortable about women that undress and change and yep. all of that in front of each other and, uh, and you know, can be so intimate and mad at each other even in and and still like go through the motions of trying on things in a dressing room i love i'm like just every time we go to a memory the colors in the in the scenes are just so incredible and vibrant and changing every time i mean it's like this is how i want to be lit in my life at all times oh my god i know it looks amazing it's beautiful uh we so this scene is something it's interesting a lot of the memories if you find the script, uh, a lot of the memories are in different places in the script than they are in the film. Okay. And this is one of them. This memory was attached to a scene that actually got cut out of the movie. Um, and we moved it here and we kind of changed around the dialogue in the dressing room because that scene was a little bit lighter in the script and when we shot it and made it a little bit mm. uh, more dense between Jenny and Aaron, which brings Gina to thinking about this. Uh, and the way that we shot this, uh, I wanted it to feel... Like this is something Jenny does not remember in a nice way. The mm -hmm. lighting is harsher. Yeah. Uh, the greens are harsher, mm -hmm. um, especially on this moment where she's being ugly mm -hmm. and feels ugly about how she was with him. Because I think we are very harsh on ourselves in the way that we look back on not just the joy, but the pain. Um, and so in addition to that, we also rewrote the scene in editing. And so there's a lot of ADR in that scene. Whenever the camera's on their back, that is stuff that we wrote and kind of and found in editing once we kind of were finding and putting together and piecing together Jenny and Nate's story uh, with all the footage that we had shot. Um, and we wanted to make the scene more of a timestamp about, the, OK, this is post her mm -hmm. telling him about San Francisco and this is kind of the fight. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. It was this moment. It was this kind of mundane thing that she did at a party that she's always done. She's always on her phone. She's always doing this. But the 
everything is so heightened because all of these things are happening and they both know that this is almost over and they can't admit it to themselves. So they're fighting about this stupid thing that doesn't make that doesn't really matter. And then it dovetails into this bigger thing that they're not really talking about, uh, which takes us to my favorite scene in the movie, which is this sex scene between Jenny and Nate. Um, for me as a woman, I've been in this situation so many times where and I can't stress this, en- stress this enough. This is consensual sex. Mm-hmm. It is, there is, I think, a moment for all people where you realize in an intimate moment that the magic is gone. And it kind of, you're, and it's two people desperately clinging on to something that they both know is not there anymore, but Mm -hmm. they have not admitted to each other is not there anymore. So this moment and this scene is about Jenny and Nate separately knowing that it's over and then the breakup is them telling each other that it's over the shot that's about to happen where gina's character sits up and lakeith is behind her and they can't see each other's faces but the looks on their faces tell you everything to me is such a masterful moment because it's so real and it's so authentic and it's one of those great moments in this film of which there are many where the characters don't have to talk to actually let you know what they're thinking yeah, I think that they they did this so beautifully. This was this was the hardest day on set for me because this is very it's this is the most personal thing I put in the movie. Okay. I think that I have been in so many situations where I've you know had this intimate kind of experience and the other part of this that I love that I think Gina did so beautifully and and she she just nailed the the exact emotional nuances that I wanted is they're so disconnected that he doesn't even realize that she is uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that she doesn't feel it and that that wasn't good for her and that like they are so they are doing this thing where they where they are essentially like you know you know as intimate as you can possibly be and completely disconnected yeah um and I've been there so many times and I think not so many times. I'm my life. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. It's, uh, it's, it feels so real. Yeah, it feels really real. And I had never seen that on. I've never seen that on film before. Yeah. Uh, and when we tested the very the very first uh, friends and family screening we did in New York, uh, um, there was a man in the in the room who said uh, that the scene felt really uncomfortable for him and that it might people might interpret it in the wrong way and i want to and every woman in that room was like no like, <laughs> it was perfect and he and this poor this poor man who i, I actually adore and is is uh, one of the jen's boyfriends um uh was like okay 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 but i knew in that moment i was like yeah. oh i got it right um and i think i also think the idea of the fact that that is the scene where they say i love you forever and it and that's the first time that they both realize that forever is impossible anymore. Yeah. In, in, since the film has come out, you know, you've been talking to a lot of people on social about it, I'm sure, in life as well. Have you noticed a huge discrepancy between the interpretation that women have and the interpretation that men have? No, I think that people get it. Yeah. I think that people understand the scene. And, you know, to me, that's that's the saddest scene in the entire movie to sure. me. I, that, the, the, the performances from Lakeith and Gina, Lakeith saying... I love you so much. Mm-hmm. The way that he says that, it's so soft, and you can see, you feel how much pain he is in. Yeah. And that night when we were shooting, he kind of went into his himself. Mm-hmm. He 
didn't really talk to me. He didn't really talk to Gina. I went up to him and I was like, this is what we're going to do. You know, this is the scene. And he nodded. And but I let him kind of go off and do his thing. And he was really he was really inside himself and, and tapping into what he had to tap into. And it's all there on the screen in a way that is it's so beautiful and miraculous. It's incredible. And then you jump into this other breakup, which is like 180 degrees yes, away yes. from that. Oh, my God. The mobster, um, Alex Moffat, again, doing just doing the most. And I love him so much. Um, the you got it, dude, improvised. Also, this butt clench that's about to happen as he stands up. Yes, not it, just something he did and that I it's it's probably the most absurd joke in the movie. And at every turn, people were like, are you going to cut that? And I was like, I'm not going to cut that. You're like, I will cut that dog that yeah. we paid $12 billion yeah. for before. It's so. I will cut my hand off before <laughs> I cut the butt clench. No, I love. And I also just like, I love that there's there's so many levels of relationships yes. in this movies. In this movies. In this. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I love that there's so many different <laughs> levels of relationships yeah. in this movie. Uh, where, you know, I think that there are some relationships where, like, you were together for five years, and it's like, you've been together for five years, but, like, it's not been great for right. two, and you still like each other, and it's yeah. like, the nothing has to be bad, but you're just like... Oh, I mean, we've all been in those things where you think one person is way more into it the other, and then you finally break up, and they're like, oh, thank God. You yeah, know what? It's like, like, oh, why didn't we do this years ago? Yeah, and it's like, because it was comfortable, and because, you know, on Sundays, you brought me a bacon, egg, and cheese, and that, you can sustain that for a, oh, a long while. I mean, I've sustained on less than sandwiches yeah so it's like, like it's like we both really like to watch 30 rock and we yep. enjoy a rotisserie chicken yep. so let's do this for another two years that's all that's all sometimes you need i mean i love also just from a day drinking enjoying yourself perspective i love that you built in naps oh into my the, god because it's so important to the so reality the nap is is my favorite but also let's talk about dewanda's eye makeup because it's let's. my favorite makeup look and gina's hair the she looks rough yeah. and, i mean she's still gorgeous her eyes are like stunning and searing but she looks like she just drank all day and took a nap. Yep. And I feel like you never see that in movies. Completely. You never, they never actually look like they were doing the thing that they were just doing. But yep. I love. Sweatpants. I, I also love that she fell asleep in that chair and was using her jacket as a <laughs> blanket. It's such, it's so messy. Um, but it's one of the few like about to be makeover scenes where you're like, yes, they need a makeover. They need to get themselves back together to go back out into the world again for part two of this day. Yes. And I, you know, the other thing I love is I love that. You know, Blair comes in and she's like, this thing happened. She doesn't want to tell Jenny because she doesn't want to encroach on Jenny's day. So that's just like such a beautiful thing. And then Jenny wakes up, um, which is also one of my favorite jokes. when she says, don't tell Jenny what, <laughs> which is all Gina. Um, and this is so much tequila that they would, she would be vomit. She would vomit yep. immediately after drinking uh, all that tequila. Um, I don't know that that's true. Uh, that's so much tequila, like <laughs> straight into her gullet. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try after this. We yeah, finish recording. <laughs> great. Um, please at home, please do the, the someone great tequila challenge. Oh my gosh. The someone, the someone great drinking game would probably hurt a lot of yeah, people. Like Netflix does not advise. Yeah. We don't advise. We also cannot pay for your medical bills. Um, we do know that they would maybe be, like the the end the Avengers end credit sequence of this movie is just a is just them in a ambulance going to the hospital. <laughs> it's them all getting IVs the next day. Yeah. Just like I need like physically with their sunglasses on. Yep. Yeah, I indoors. Need vitamins put physically back into my veins, yeah. not even just me drinking well. Um oh, uh, But before it. we get into the montage, yep. I just want to say like Please. I also love that Gina wakes up and she's immediately there for her friend. She's uh, like, Nope, they're completely different things. I'm here for you. Yep. 
and she calls Dewanda trash for asking about her room. I just, I love, I love their dynamic. Well, I just think it's so, it's the, so real. The thing is, too, because it's not that dumb cliche thing of women being competitive. No, my thing has to be more important. No, my thing has to be. We can all have interior lives and support them, and all of our things can be important simultaneously. Yeah. So we shot this. This was half a day of shooting. It was my one of my favorite days. And it's just we literally set the camera up and we did a bunch of weird stuff. I was just like, Gina rolled an entire joint. This is a real thing that just like organically yeah. happened where she <laughs> drops a thing. And Brittany off camera screamed, you got it, girl, um, which I love. I love that. Yeah. I mean, are they like so one of the things that's always interesting to me about movies that have music being such a prominent part in them is like. What are they actually listening to in the moment? So in this, because there's no Dialogue. talking, yeah. we it's it we were playing we played Rake It Up, we played Lemon, we played Jump Off. Uh that those were the three that we really Oh, we played Mihente. Mihente is playing while Gina is rolling the joint. Uh so we had those we had all that stuff uh in there and they were they were dancing, everyone was dancing. It was it was such a fun day. This bodega scene is one of my favorites in the film, obviously for many, many reasons, most notably that it's such a great example of what you've done throughout the movie, which is using music to trigger memories, which I feel like we were talking earlier about how the city can turn against you and it turns into a cemetery, but it's like even more than the city. It's like music and movies and like everything becomes landmarks of a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, this was their... This was their bodega. Yeah. This was their place because it's right near Jenny's apartment. This is her bodega. This was their bodega. This is where we they went, uh, you know, on any given night to get snacks and a drink when they were high. Yeah, and it's you like know? innocuous when it's all happening, and then after the fact, it's just you. You, can't you walk even... in and your stomach sinks into your ass. It's yeah. like it sucks. And then this song comes on. This is based on a real thing that happened to me where I was at a I was at a grocery store in New York trying to buy uh, some chicken. And Adele's Someone Like You came on. And I started to sob in this grocery store uh, and like a low, like very softly sing along to the song. <laughs> I did not have friends with me. So I just looked like a straight up crazy person. But again, it's New York. So no one even noticed her. No, care. they were like, oh, she's probably like a pigeon woman or something. <laughs> pigeon wo- Is this a woman from Home Alone, too? Yeah. Um, yeah. She's it's like, oh, it's like the Feed the Birds lady from Mary Poppins. Um <sighs> But make it millennial. Um, <laughs> uh, but I love this moment. I also love, um, and honestly, yes, I know that the string she's not ref- is not refrigerated, but the joke works. It totally. So I does. need everyone to leave me alone. No Wait. one ate the unrefrigerated string cheese. It's just, but like the way Gina like pauses and kind of goes not dead eyed, but just is so in the moment is so relatable. And I feel like we've all been there. Sometimes in a grocery store by ourselves. Sometimes, you know in this bodega with friends who comes and sing along. But it just, again, it's another moment of such personal identification, I think, for so many people. I also think this really sets up beautifully the three characters and who they are. Because, you know, Gina is kind of this extra, you know, Jenny is this extra person that, you know, takes a string cheese and makes it a mic and, you know, is just going to live her life and feel all her feelings. Jenny is someone that unapologetically feels all her feelings whenever she needs to feel them. Dewanda is someone that at first it's just like, all right, we're here for this right. and we're going to support you. And then she starts singing along because she's like, you know what? If you're doing it, I'm doing it. Ride or die. And then Blair is someone that is reluctant because she's like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. But she can't. But she's like, OK, OK, if we're all doing it. I guess we're fucking doing it. Exactly. Um, and then I have a little story about the cat in the bodega uh-huh. who showed up to set with an emotional support dog. Sorry, what? So the cat showed up in a stroller. 
with a dog. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who's the dog? The dog was the cat's emotional support <laughs> animal. So we are now at a place where animals have their own emotional support animals. Uh, I mean... I love it. I was like, I need a whole film about this. Like, where's my Pixar movie about that cat and its emotional support dog? Where is my 30-episode documentary series about this cat and dog that are best friends and need each other emotionally to get through life? Yeah, who live in a stroller. Um, (sighs) The cat also showed up and... uh, I'm not sure if the it was the cats or if the movie put this on it, but it had a collar. Mm-hmm. And I, one of my favorite directing things that I did, I was like, wait, does that cat have a collar? And they were like, no. I was like, bodega cats don't have collars. No, no, no. I was like, these are like basically feral cats that should not live in stores, but there's one in every bodega Every in store. They're just looking for the closest stack of newspapers to sit on that yeah. is also on top of a deli Yeah, case. they're judging every choice you're making. Oh, God. Um, uh, one time, it was like two in the morning, I got judged really hard by this bodega cat when I was trying to buy a ham sandwich, and I've never forgotten the haunting look that was in its yeah, eye. Yeah, they like look at you, and they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're buying that cup of noodles? Yeah, you're alone? You're in sweatpants? Mm-hmm. They just know. Enjoy, they, enjoy, they, bitch. They know, <laughs> they know your deepest fears at all times. Yeah, cats are terrifying to me. Same. Um, shout out to Questlove. Uh, he is amazing. Gina is friends with him and just texted him on a whim and was like, hey, you want to come be in this movie? And he said yes. <laughs> um, and on the day, he was like, I'm going to do every trope I've ever seen any yep. DJ in a movie do. And it all looks great. I love that. So for this scene, so a giant rave scenes where the music is so loud, you have to scream. I assume no music is playing here. What is, I mean... How do you get that level of sort of like, we're over here? So it's basically what you just did. It's we play really loud music right before. And then the minute that I call action, the music cuts out. Mm -hmm. And then everyone just has to kind of like stay with that vibe that they had when the music was on. And the three girls are quite literally yelling at each other in a silent room. Uh, It's great. I also want to go back to... Uh, so this entrance, so them coming down the stairs was this amazing, you mm. know, shot that I love and that we ramped up. And I think it's so fun and feels like this, like, really grand entrance into this thing. Uh, at the bottom of the stairs, there's a little Easter egg to LCD sound system. And the neon sign says, where are your friends tonight? Love. Um, and then when when we're in with Questlove and we kind of, like, reveal Neon Classic, which looks absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, there are three women who enter who are kind of the younger versions of Jenny Blair and Aaron. Okay. Uh, so I kind of wanted to do this thing where we pull in, where we come in with them and it's like, this is who they were and this is who they are now. And it's kind of that like full 360 thing of, you know, at one time they used to come to this festival and they were, they were these three, not that they're not young anymore, but they were these three, you know, young 20 somethings. Like this is these girls in my mind, like this is these girls first neon classic. And now we're kind of like looking at like their future and and who they become. I love that. It's just footprints of your past all over, you know, that's, that's New York. I mean, I feel like that is also crazily, like I know we keep talking about that, but like the experience of living in New York is also the experience of seeing the 21-year-old version of yourself in a room when you're 26. Yeah, there's a there's an LCD sound system song called Losing My Edge and it's all about, you know, I was like I was cool and you know, all these kids are coming up like, you know, these these kids are cool now and it's like you you think you're cool, but like I was there before you and I think that that the spirit of that song lives within this entire movie. Um I love this stuff between the girls. When Jenny sees Nate, mm-hmm. I feel like that is such a universal thing to... I mean, she she went to this concert hoping he, to see him, yeah. knowing she was going to see him. Uh, but that moment of seeing your ex across the room is... It, I, I don't 
there's no way to describe it except that Gina nailed that facial facial yeah. expression. She just got she just got it so well, and I think uh, she just did such a good job. And I think that the way that Dewanda and Brittany react to her and the don't go over there and doing it all from a place of love, I really love that because that feels so real to me. That feels so like, dude. I- I know, I like, I, we knew that this was going to be what it was, but please don't do it. It's not going to be good for you. Um, and then, you know, it's this fight in the in the hallway. I also really love because it's it's all so clearly from a place of, like, we love you. Please of, don't fucking do this. Yeah. And then the conceding uh, on both Dewanda and Brittany's part and, like, all right, you're going to That's the thing. As friends, <laughs> when, when you have friends who you, like, know are going to make a bad decision, all you can do is try to make them not make it and then kind of let them make it once it's clear to you that they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, and it's like, all right, the dropping the phone in the toilet. What a relatable moment. I mean, who amongst us? Whomst. Whomst amongst, amongst us. us. So this scene was not here originally. The breakup scene. The breakup scene. And then we shot them looking at each other at neon classic and i was like oh there's no way that we can have that moment without seeing the breakup before mm-hmm. so we moved this here but it was really later uh the breakup scene was actually supposed to come after the poem really yes oh that's so interesting In the script, the, the poem happens and then that leads you into the breakup scene okay and in, and when we got into editing that moment was so strong that and it's it's here now and it's so interesting because we, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, but at Neon Classic, you actually have sort of those colors that you have in a lot of the memories. So when you actually go to the breakup with its very straightforward kind of lighting, it feels so much more gritty in a sense because it doesn't have that glossy memory sheen that so much of what Jenny's experience has been so far did. Yeah, because this is reality. This yeah. is, I think, this is her memories and, and the world that she's kind of been living in in her head and the things that she's, the movie that she's been putting together in her head. This isn't the movie. This is just life. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, while there is still a little bit there, we also used different lenses on this. So the other scenes, the other memories are using glimmer glass lenses and we used less of a glimmer mm. on this. So it's like all of it should feel a little bit closer, a lot closer to the way that the movie is shot in the present day. If 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 we were to see sort of all of these memories from Nate's perspective, do you feel like this is the only one that would match pretty one-to-one? I don't think so. Okay. No, I think that, you know, I think that this is so Jenny because he's so closed off. Yeah. And I think that that's how Jenny sees how that happened. Mm. And I think that she felt that he went away. And I think if you went back, this is very close to an actual breakup that I had. This is a very there's a very close thing to me. Um, A lot of the details in his room, like the books on the floor, like all those little things are the things that, you know, I took from that and remembered from that and have from that and infused into this. Um, and I think that, you know, her looking around, her being in this room, that this memory is so much about her and Mm -hmm. about her, like how she feels about knowing that she's in this place in this way for the last time. Oh God. The sitting in their room when you know it's the last time is. Yeah. It's a visceral sort of like feeling you have when you put it into words like that. Yeah. It's, and, and I really wanted it to feel like. You know, it's it's about the breakup and it's about understanding what it was, but it's also her seeing that he's shut down and he's not shut down because he doesn't love her anymore. He's shut down because he loves her so much. Yeah. And he they are. And it's also, I think, 
really a really beautiful way to show how different they are because she is someone that all she wants to do is bleed emotion and he is someone that can't he's like I can't I I have this I have to close I have to close this or else I can't move forward and she's like I have to let all this out or Mm. else I can't move forward so here's a cool thing to know uh he didn't turn around in the script he just he doesn't turn around in the script I wrote okay he never turns around she sees him and she leaves and then we shot uh, shout out to all my producers who were like, I think we should do one where he turns around. And we shot it first. And I looked at Peter Cron and Dan Mignante, who are the producers of this movie, and I said, oh, we don't need to shoot it the other way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in the original script, the original script, it was also a bigger thing that uh, she looks at him and watches him. And then he kind of like morphs into them dancing in that first mm. NYU party. Uh-huh. And so she, and everyone in the concert melts away. Okay. And it's just her watching them dance for the first time. And then all of that kind of floods back and then the reality sets in that like that's not there anymore. Mm. And then she walks away. Um but this this look, yeah. I mean, added to the pantheon of of great romantic looks between two people across a room. They killed it. Lakeith Stanfield's eyes should win an award. Just like you could just like I'm going to start a four year consideration campaign for his eyes. I support it. I mean, if it's if it's if the prize is a Nobel Peace Prize, I will still support it. Yeah. I feel like that's the level we're operating. Yeah. Um, And then I think, you know, coming out of that and that moment of just like she didn't realize what she was doing. I don't think she realizes that that was her choosing herself to the end. Mm -hmm. But she something in her gut was like, I got to get out. And then I think it's just so real that. You know, the next person that you see is the guy you uh, fucked in college and who wasn't nice to you. <laughs> but it's always that way. You know, it's like you always go from like your love to your loathe. And yeah, some... you're just like, Jesus, <laughs> I can't catch a break. So it's like you you're, again, like you're here again. Yeah. And but... that that line reading of Jesus fucking Christ from Gina <laughs> is so perfect. It's just I just it's so perfect. But I mean, I think that's also what happens like whenever you're going through something like emotionally traumatic, you always end up seeing people or things or places that you it's the last thing you actually want in that moment. Yeah, you're like, how is everyone I know around me on this on this goddamn day? <laughs> it just feels like the whole world is trolling you. It, exactly. Um, I want to talk about this amazing shot where Jenny's in the car going back into the city and sort of seeing a timeline of everything on the street. I mean, is is this how you envisioned this moment when you wrote it? Yes. So this is written into the script. It was written in the script as this is a tracking shot of memories of Jenny kind of remembering pieces and watching them out the window and I had no idea how it was going to be executed and the way it was executed is we actually you shoot you have the camera on a dolly and it comes around and you shoot a plate of just the street and then you shoot the first one and Mm -hmm. you go all the way through the second one you go all the way through and the third one you go all the way through and then you stitch it together so this is a, a an amazing special effect um and uh yeah I mean this was my this felt the most real to me and the most New York to me and I think that you know something as simple as a street you remember the good and you can remember the bad and that that to me is that's what a breakup is that's what it is you know you look out the window and you see your brain goes from the amazing time at the bodega to the sweet time that he put you up on a step and kissed you to the fight that you had and walked in separate directions I I one of the things that I think about this uh, Blair and Aaron scene that makes it so great and what makes the movie overall so great is that so often in a film like this, you have the girl who's going through sort of like the emotional journey and then her two friends who have like 
subplots, but like Blair and Aaron and Jenny all go through completely incredible personal story arcs that could be their own film in a lot of ways. So the fact that it's interwoven into one really talks speaks to me about sort of your interest in bringing fully realized female characters into this picture. Yeah, I think that for me and the the thing that I say is like I want to feel like I've seen everyone brush their teeth. Mm-hmm. I feel like in so many movies like you're really with the one person and it's like you feel like you know what their routine is and then you have the friends that are there for like the quippy remarks right. and they're there to kind of aid the friend. Uh, in their journey. And I really didn't want that because I think that I think that this story in so many ways is way more of a coming of age story yeah. uh, coming into your 30s and adulthood in a real way than it is the love story. Um, and while the love story is Jenny's catalyst into her coming of age, I wanted to tell the story of these three women and these three friends. And I think I would be doing a disservice to the story itself to not fully realize these women and give them full arcs. Yeah. And also, like, they're just brilliant actresses and I want to like let them shine um, Dewanda's performance in this scene when she says it would change everything and then launches into that that to me is also such a relatable in your 20s experience the idea of like you feel powerless watching your friends go through things and watching everyone grow up and things change and that fact that she's trying to hold on to it so hard you actually like break it in a sense yeah I think that that you know it's interesting we we tested the movie And there were a couple of like 17, 18 year olds who had notes where they're like, they're trying so hard to stay young and they didn't like it. And I was just like, wait till you get to your (laughs) your 29. And I was like, but you but they got it. Like they definitely got what was happening because I feel like you get to that place in your life and your mortality starts to set in Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, these choices matter. And you can't just fuck around. I mean, just like Bear says, you can't fuck around anymore. And I think that's a reckoning. And I think that everyone gets to the point where they feel comfortable with that in their own time and Aaron is a character that you know is wrestling between the woman that she was and the woman that she's meant to be and is going to be and doesn't know which one I mean Britney Spears said it best she's not a girl not yet a woman oh god she's just such a prophet she's, at such a young oh age oh my god she taught us so much she taught us so much and she still, still had so to say she still, still is still still teaching us um, um, who thought this was going to go there? No one? You're welcome. Oh, um, <laughs> I feel like everyone should always expect everything yeah. that ever happens to eventually come back to Britney Spears. Yeah. Um, so this scene is another scene that I really love with Matt and Jenny in the club. Uh, I also, there's something about, I, I really liked and really wanted for all of the men in this movie to be subver- as subverted and as dynamic mm-hmm. as the women. Yep. And I think that while Nate is the heartthrob, uh, and he's complicated. He's not a bad guy. Right. And there's nothing about him. And even in the even in the flashbacks where they are fighting, they are fighting with each other. And it is very even and it is very yeah. equal in their, you know, vitriol. And with Matt, what I liked about the scene is that he surprises you and he says sorry. And it's like there is growth there. And it's like, yeah, he was 20 years old and he was a fuckboy. And is he still a fuckboy? Yeah, but he's a fuckboy with a heart of gold. And and I also think it helps you understand Blair a little bit more because it's the first scene for me, at least, where I was actually seeing what Blair sees in Matt. Yeah, and what Jenny saw in Matt. Because right. it's like, this is a guy that has now slept with two, two of the three yeah. women in the movie. <laughs> it's like either he's amazing in bed or Which, he's a good person yeah. or both. Um but you know I I wanted I wanted that to be there and I wanted that to be a nice moment between them because I think that so often you know when you meet those people later in life that were those people that you were so hung up on when you were younger there is 
there's something really nice about finding closure there and being able to look at you, look at that person and be like, God, I cried about you so much and I don't care anymore. Um, And it's nice to be able to sit with you and have this moment. And I wanted I wanted that vibe there. And then I really also like what he says to her uh, about the fact that, you know, heartbreak is beautiful and that you get to live in it and that you get to sit in it. And that means it was real. And I think that's really that's a really important thing to remember when you are heartbroken. Um, And it's something that I've, you know, I went through a breakup at the beginning of this year and it's something that I, it's funny, I uh, hold on to that and someone recently said that to me and they were like, well, you got to, you know, just enjoy the heartbreak. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm living my own movie. Yeah. (laughs) Was that a strange experience? I mean, I don't want to go too far into it, but was it strange going through that while also making this and editing this and putting this movie? So we broke up after the movie was done. Oh, Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, but it's been it's been very interesting to you know be talking about the movie and doing right. press and watching it, pontificating and, yeah, on relationships, yeah, and and be going through you know something myself and and it was very similar to Nate and Jenny where it's like it was not about love it was just about being on different paths, yeah. um, and you know I think that so much of you know I I am able to watch the movie and and go back in and there's so much that I I'm like wow I. Like I, I lived this before, but now, you know, being in it and watching the movie and being around it and, and all of these things kind of happening at once, it's been a really profound experience for me. And I, you know, I see all these people online and I've been interacting with people on Twitter and I just want to be like, me, I'm shocked. it's me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, something I don't, I'm curious about the origins of this because like this is actually something that felt very much like I'd never seen it in a film before, when Leah and Aaron are having this conversation and Leah says to her, you know, I'm not surprised this is new to you because your two best friends are straight. And the idea of being a gay person or a queer person who has a lot of straight people in their lives and sort of not really being in touch with their queerness is so interesting to me. And I'm wondering where that sort of, that one little nugget came from here. So I think it was something that, you know, they she is best friends with two straight people and so for me I was like what what does that say about Aaron and is that is that her you know feeling like she had this experience in college where she was with a woman and I do want to say she the the relationship in college and what I'm trying to say here is that she was with a woman who was experimenting with her sexuality mm-hmm. and realized that she was a straight woman it was not a bisexual right. woman that was oscillating and going between mm-hmm. men and women and went back to men it was a straight woman who thought she wanted to try something and then was like, never mind, I'm straight. Um, and I think that, you know, Aaron doesn't necessarily have a lot of queer friends and is not necessarily like a big part of that community. And I feel like she's not sure how to kind of dive into it. Mm. Um, and so that's how it manifests. Yeah, how it manifests. And I think that, she, you know, it, it, her two best friends are straight. So she, you know, when you're, when you're best friends with straight people, like she's going to straight bars, right. she's hang- like, right. it's not like it, it is a different community. It's yep. like, so I think that, you know, this woman is bringing her into a space where she hasn't been before. And I think she feels a little weird that she's, it's taken her this mm-hmm. long to be this much in yes. the community that she's always wanted to be in. Um, so I think that that's also where the hesitancy comes from. And that's where she's, you know, a little bit like, I don't know how to do this. And like, will they like me? And like, am I, yep. am I enough? Like, all of those things kind of play into, you know, not just her loving this woman and being scared that not to get burned again, but also, you know, moving into this community. And I also think that tracks back to it changes everything. And 
does moving into this community move away from her true best friends? Yeah. And how does she how is she all of these things at once? And how can she be all these things to all these different people and kind of figuring out how she can be the most realized version of herself? Yeah, it's incredible. Nailed it. Um, OK, I have we have to jump into the letter that Gina is currently writing. And it is such a beautiful piece of writing, Jen. And I'm wondering how long it actually took to put together. So the first part of the poem, the one more's part, is something that I wrote in about five minutes while I was sobbing in my car after a breakup. <laughs> um, and then the second part actually comes from the when something doesn't, sometimes things don't break, they shatter, mm-hmm. is something that I wrote when I was 22 after the guy dumped me in New York. So the very first breakup that inspired this movie, I wrote that. And, you know, I kind of mushed the the things together. And and what I wanted out of this was for the poem not to be about living in the past, but about reflecting on the beauty that was and knowing that that can never be taken away Mm -hmm. and that can never get less beautiful. And it will always be a part of her and it has informed who she is. Um but also that she feels like she is like she is ready to move into another part of her life. And that is not to say that she is over this breakup. I think that, you know, it's a movie and it's one night and you have to have like a full, you know, yeah. realized arc for a character. I think that Jenny will still have days where she's devastated and she'll wake up and she'll be like, nope, and just go right back to sleep. Um, but this poem is a catharsis where she is really thinking about and and. Uh, meditating on the idea that just because it's over doesn't mean it's any less beautiful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it has to be any less beautiful. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's such a beautiful poem. Thank you. It's such a beautiful poem. Um, we should go back to this. Yeah, let's this talk. Moment. Let's talk about this sex scene. Let's talk about this walking in. Yeah. So, uh, shout out. So the I just want to make sure that everyone notices that Matt is drinking from an espresso cup at the beginning of this scene. <laughs> Uh, which is a choice that I made at the last minute because I was like, what would this guy have at the club? I was like, I bet he doesn't drink. He doesn't seem like a guy that would drink because it's like his party. Right. And I was like, he has to have an espresso, a porcelain espresso club in the club. Uh, and it took a very long time for us to procure that. And I was like, we will hold. We will hold shooting <laughs> for a joke that no one will notice. But it doesn't matter. It's important to you. It's very important to me. Um, and... Uh, my brother, my brother's girlfriend, Kim, actually sent me a picture of it. She was like, whose decision was this? And I was like, this is the best moment of my entire life. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, and then I just love, I just love that Britney's character is just letting her hair all the yep. way down. I love that she's fucking in the bathroom. Yep. I think it's just like, it's it's everything that you thought. What I wanted for, for Blair is everything, every preconceived bullshit thing you thought about this woman. I was like, I'm going to, th- I want you to be so wrong by the end of this mm-hmm. movie and uh i also think it's just like this woman is owning her sexuality in a way that she's clearly been in a relationship with a guy that like it was a lot of missionary yeah. um and now she's living in color and she's and she's on the sink and her legs are in the air and she's living her life um and you know i i love that she thought she locked the door and she didn't and her best friend walks in and one of my favorite moments in the movie is that I feel like there are there are versions of this where they'd be like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And that DeWanda immediately is like, I am here for this. Yes. Please wash your hands. <laughs> uh, and the you fuck line is something that we threw into the last minute. That's not in the script. That's I was like, great. yeah, I was like, that callback is my, one of my favorite lines in the movie. It's one of the biggest laughs in the movie. 
Uh, and we were, I was behind the camera and I was like, you know what? I was like, can you push the door back open and just tell her that she fucks? Uh, and it's now one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. I love that. Which is, I mean, and it feels like the whole film has brought us to this, this point with Jenny and Nate back in their spot, back yeah. in Washington Square Park. Um, it was very interesting, sort of the choice to have them be there, but not really. Can you talk a little bit about why this is where you wanted to sort of end the movie? So I think it's a very real thing to dream about the reconciliation. And I think for me, I wanted this scene. I wanted, there are a lot of things in the movie, the getting ready montage, mm-hmm. you know, the you know the, the costumes in the apartments. And there are a lot of things that were nods to the romantic comedies that I loved and that I came up with and the, the, the you know, the ingredients that make those great. And with with all with every, you know, step I wanted to subvert that I wanted to make it my own version of that. And so this it kind of gives the audience the scene that would probably exist in any other version of this movie mm-hmm. and in an earlier, you know, a movie that was made at an earlier time. That that is the end of the movie yeah. is they get back together. But that's not real. Um, but I think that the want for it is. And so I really wanted to make sure that I had that you could that you could have both. And I think that Jenny dreaming about Nate and it's also because it's not a flashback and it is a dream. It's shot without any of the lighting Mm -hmm. or any of it's just shot like reality. Yeah, because it is like that's that's not a memory. That's that's something that she's thought about in her head. And this is the thing that she always wanted him to say. She oh this is all she wanted all day was for him to show up and say this stuff and I think that smile on her face is her saying I hear this and this isn't what I want and her realizing that it's okay um, and then she wakes up and you know she's able to come to this this uh, closure. It's great. I mean, I do. I love that the movie ends with these three sort of you know because it feels to me like the heart of this movie is about not getting back together. It's about getting over something or realizing that something wasn't right and finding a way to move on. And I think you really only move on with the people you love. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this this whole thing is and what she says, like, you know, she says love and then she says love. And this moment for Jenny is her. It's not her being over it. It's just her saying, I I am going to get through it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference there. I think there's a big difference between I'm over Nate and I know that I am strong enough and I will pursue and I will get through this. Absolutely. And that is what this scene represents. Um, and, you know, also kudos to her for not getting robbed in Washington Square Park. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's, you know, weak, the weaker of us have fallen prey. <laughs> yeah. So crazy that a woman would fall asleep in the middle of this park. That's. <laughs> Not a thing that I advise anyone to do. Please, Please don't. don't do that. Please don't. Um, that is a, that is movie magic. Um, and then I just love this scene between the three girls. Yeah. I think that this is these three women. This is their. This is all. This is it. This is everything. You know. It's it's. And we 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 went back and forth a lot about do we include them filling each other in because it's like we've all the audience right. has seen it, but I think that that's the magic is like is seeing them come back together and talk about. Even though you've seen it and you know you know what happened, it's like watching them talk about it is so fun. And this actually, because it started raining, we could only do this in one take. Wow. We have two cameras going, and this is one like this is all one take. This is all the same take. We only had one, and it's magic. It's yeah. so amazing. Um, and I also love you know I love the idea that it's like, it's just it's just un 
filtered sisterhood. It's just yeah. raw, uncut sisterhood. And there's no, there's not even a moment of like, you fucking left nope. or you didn't find me in time or you fucked my, you know, guy that I had sex with. In co- like none of that. Yeah. It's they, they are back together and they love each other and they are adult women and they're living their lives. They're living their best lives. Because real friends know that you have to go on whatever journey you have to go on. And all you're supposed to do is just be there to support and encourage and sometimes tell them you fuck, boo. Yeah, you, know? you fuck. I love it. Um, I have a very, very important question for yes, you. Yes, yeah. Oh, sorry. This woman just stumbled across the screen. This uh, woman, so, so, so really quick story. This woman so was supposed to have her shoes in her hand. <laughs> And all three of the actresses shamed me. And they were like, you are not making this poor girl walk without shoes on in Washington Square Park. And so she has shoes on. <laughs> I was like, but it's real. I was like, I was like, yeah, no, you're right. I've never done that. And I was like, definitely. No, I've same, never walked no. around the streets of New York without shoes on. No, definitely. Um, never happened. Yeah. Look um, at this free wet down we got because it just started pouring rain that night. Gorgeous. God, I love I love the coat Blair has on, too. I literally want to wear all the clothes the girls coat wear is Zara. Great. Um, okay, so last question before we wrap up. FaceTiming on the toilet. Mm-hmm. In real life, yay or nay? Yay. Yay? Yay. Th- is this something like a lot of people do? I don't know. I love a toilet selfie. Okay. I love a good toilet selfie. I love um, for you. Maybe I'm on a group chat with the girls and we send each other toilet selfies. Love that. Maybe this happens. All right. Well, Jen, as we are watching the credits roll, I want to ask, is there anything else you would like to say um, at this time about this film? Yeah, I think that, you know, the biggest thing for me and, and why the why the name of the movie comes at the end is because someone great isn't him. Mm-hmm. Someone great is her. And it takes the whole movie for the not only the audience to realize that, but for Jenny to realize that. Um, and that's, that's really what the movie is about. And so, you know, I really wanted to make something where at the top you're like, okay, I'm on this ride. I think I know what it is. It's going to be, you know, it's, it's essentially why I, I wrote that first kind of dreamy scene in, in the bar with, with them and they take the picture and then it's like, you get smacked in the face by Michelle Bouton. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, you have no idea what movie you're watching. Um, and I hope that that kind of tone is carried throughout the film and that people feel like they are constantly surprised by, you know, the places that the movie takes them. Absolutely. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being our very first guest on Watching With. I loved this. And thank you for making this movie really and truly. It's an incredible movie that people are having just the most magical response to. And I think that has to do with not only every single person that we're watching right now getting listed in the credits, but the film that you wrote and the emotion and the heart that you and all the actors poured into it. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. I think that, you know, I'm just so excited that people are responding to it. And, you know, I do want to take this time to say to everyone that is uh, broken and sobbing, uh, I'm sorry, Um, but also... I'm not sorry. And I hope that (laughs) I hope that this movie can can lift you up uh, as much as it is maybe tear you down (laughs) (laughs) as all Um, great things in life. Yeah. And and also just a PSA, like don't text your ex. Just don't do it. You're going to you're going to want to text your best friend. Text your best friend. Don't text your ex. Well, on that note, Jen, thank you. Thank you all for listening. And if you like what you heard, rate, review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. One thing I didn't talk about. Oh, sure.
Which we don't have to. What? I have a good story about the baby tr- the baby sharks in Hype's apartment. <laughs> I mean, we can we can totally record it if you. Yeah, let's record yeah. it. It's a good yeah. story. Um, the city showed up. Oh yeah, let's do it. So these baby sharks, which were written into the script, which were which was the only thing I was precious about as a director. Like I was like, I'll cut characters, I'll cut. I don't care about losing locations, but I held on to these baby sharks for dear for dear life, um, and. The locations manager, you have to, when you are, when there are animals on set, you have to tell the city that there's going to be an animal in the location. And instead of just writing fish, which was what he should have done, he wrote baby sharks. So the, a representative from New York City showed up being like, I'm sorry, you have sharks in this apartment? <laughs> um, and yeah, and I didn't find this out till after the fact because the producers were trying to like shield me from this. But I saw them like several times in the day, just kind of like huddled in the corner looking very stressed out. And then I found out later is because the, you know, the uh, someone from the government was literally on set being like, uh, what do you mean that there are sharks here? <laughs> That's amazing. And I also love that, thank- thankfully, because of when this movie was made, we got those baby sharks in the film without their hearing the song that has become omnipresent about baby sharks. Yes. I, you know, I feel like this was the prequel to baby sharks, if That's anything, right. you know, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited that baby sharks are getting their time in pop culture because I think that they, they've been deserving. They've been, they've been waiting a while. And I think this baby shark representation is, it's really gorgeous. And I just remember, just don't tell the city specifically if they're coming onto yes. your film set. Yes. If you have a film that you want sharks in, just and they and you're gonna put those sharks in an apartment in in Brooklyn. <laughs> just don't tell the city about it. Just write fish. Perfect. You don't need to write sharks. Just write fish. Everybody's learning. Le- yeah. Love it. Love it. <laughs> 